Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood. It's story time, and I'm on travel again. Back to Philadelphia for business. And I brought the mic this time, and I'm actually recording this time, so yay, you'll get a podcast out this week like I wanted to. At least that's the plan. (laughs) No reason not to get it done, though since I'm out of town and away from a lot of distractions. But um, a lot of cool stuff going on the last week, and I want to talk to you about it. Uh, First thing is about writing. Um, Continuing on with the great challenge, I'm continuing to succeed. It's now 22 weeks in a row that I've gotten a short story written and off to Dean for his thoughts. So far, he's liked all the ones. Well, he said all the ones I sent worked. You say he likes some more than another, but they all worked. So I was like, huh. <laughs> Figured I would have at least stumbled and messed up and written a jacked up one that didn't work at all at least once in 22, but apparently they've all been decently good. So hey, <laughs> looks like I'm not super delusional after all. Of course, that's just one man's opinion. Uh, but as you know, those of you who have been around for a while know I've uh, see put out a few of them. Uh, that I've actually I haven't put any out that I've written on this challenge yet because uh, I've been sending them out to various publication places and uh, and what have you and and going through that rigmarole but also uh, the other reason I haven't uh, put any of them out myself uh, through well through SSN storytelling you know, the the publishing entity um, which is not me it's its own thing um, the only reason that hasn't happened, the other reason that hasn't happened yet is my staff and got, you know, you get, you can register copyrights and 10, 10, uh, uh, pieces of work at a time. Um, and I actually, at the very beginning of this challenge went and did that with all these various, um, <laughs> stories that I had sitting around that I hadn't done anything with yet. Um, but I haven't done it with these from the great challenge yet. Cause it's like 55 bucks a pop per each uh, 10 block um, registration, which copyright registration isn't necessary per se, right? It's uh, it's good to have. If somebody infringes on you, uh, your rights, then having the thing registered in a timely manner before the uh, uh, infraction occurs, they would generally like to see it within three months of of uh of publication is my understanding um then all kinds of statutory damages can get put into place which can be some pretty good money to hold over somebody's head to, for to get them to do what you want them to do i.e to stop screwing with your stuff um the other reason the other thing about it is once a work's published it becomes a little more complicated to register the copyright because before it's published they'll you know accept uh electronic uploads of PDFs or what have you. After it's published, they want a physical copy. 
and that's just more of a pain in the butt. So I try to uh, register everything before I before SSN Storytelling puts it out or some other entity puts it out, just to keep it simple. And and maybe I'm being excessively anal about that. I don't know, but that's just been my process. And I so I've got uh, what twenty some. So I got one hundred and ten dollars worth of. Uh, copyright registration to do yet that i haven't done uh, because i've been spending money on other things um experimenting with advertising with amazon ads and book bub ads and things like that and i've been uh paying for art for the space navy novel thing that will someday <laughs> when i get around to finishing it get done and a few other things in coordination with SSN storytelling, and um, so it's been. Uh, and plus, I'm not really in any huge hurry to get all of these out there yet because, uh, again, they're raking the rounds through the various submittal chains, and you don't want to blow your your first print rights unless you just say I don't care anymore. And I still do care because a lot of these are still going through chains that I would like to you know, get into. So. We'll see how that works out. So that's what's going on with me in the writing world. I uh, I'm pretty psyched in a, a musicality kind of musical thing because uh, I, I don't know I haven't really gone into music too much here in, in this channel on the podcast because uh, I'm you know, focusing on my writing. But yeah, I grew up listening to music, grew up playing music, violin and the guitar. And I started violin when I was three. Yeah. And I moved over to the guitar when I was in high school because it was cooler. And uh, yeah, I don't play either nearly as well or nearly as often as I used to. Um, but I still can. But that gave me appreciation for all kinds of different styles of music. I most I like metal most. Um, but, you know, nothing like a good classical tune. Um Really, I really go for just about everything except for, for the most part, I can't get into hip hop and rap stuff. I'm not sure why. Um, there are some individual tunes in that genre that I that I have liked a lot, but I overall I've not been able to get into it. And it just is what it is. Uh, but everybody's been talking about this uh, Mongolian band, The Who. Uh, well, not everybody, but a whole lot of people. I first encountered them what two years ago a year and a half ago, something like that, when they started putting their videos up on YouTube and uh, generating some buzz. And I was, like, I was like, I don't even remember how I heard about them, but a website or something. I went over there and listened to their first one. I was like, holy cow, that's awesome. And then they put out two more videos. And it was like, super, super awesome using their their traditional music, but in, you know, rocking kind of traditional instruments rather but in this rocking way and i was like man i can't wait till they put their album out and they've been touring around all summer do with all kinds of places really 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 good promotional activity that they've been involved in and so their album just dropped last week on the, the 12th or the 13th and uh, i picked it up immediately and i was listening to it as a like, man that's super kick-ass so i've been enjoying that all weekend and all week and i figured i'd uh, let you guys know about it if in case you hadn't heard about them before uh they're pretty awesome uh their album's called the garrig and they uh they just rock so you should check them out um 
yeah, that's it. So that's all the real news. So let's get to um, reading from the Pericles Conspiracy, shall we? We got, when last we left, uh, Joe and Malcolm were walking through the slums there and trying to figure out what to do since they were no longer welcome with uh, Pedro and company. And uh, they got the notion to go to the, the underground safe house that Malcolm knew about. Even though they've been kicked out of the underground, apparently it's open for use if you can get to it. So they decided that's where they're heading. So we'll uh, see what happens when we get there. I'll talk to you guys after the reading. Enjoy the chapters. The Pericles Conspiracy. Written by me. Read by me. I already told you I'm not apologizing for reading anymore, so stop asking for it. <laughs> Enjoy. Chapter 31. A House in the Valley. After another kilometer, the dilapidated buildings Joe had almost become accustomed to walking past grew more sparse until they passed the lone refueling station at the extreme southern end of the pitiful little town. Then it was just her, Malcolm, and the open road. Joe was tempted to feel guilty that she did not even know the name of the little island of despair they had just departed, but she would very likely never lay eyes on it again one way or the other. It actually became pleasant, walking along the empty road under the mid-morning sun. It reminded Joe of good times in the past with her family on the Starliner, hiking the vine peaks of Talos, braving the winds along the eternal terminator of Gliza, watching the aurora on Centauri, those and a hundred other wonders that the planet-bound never got to see, never dreamed of seeing because they do not know they exist, or if they do, they dismiss them as fancy or something beyond a person's reach. It truly was a blessed life, Joe had been dealt, or rather, that she had chosen, even if all this turned out poorly, which seemed like it was going to, however she tried to keep her spirits up, it had been a good life, and she was thankful for it. The trick was to make sure things did not turn out poorly. Small clusters of buildings, businesses, and residences began to appear, one and all in much better repair than those in the shanty they had left behind. Before long, the road resembled more of a typical suburban stretch of highway, with businesses and strip malls interspersed with crossroads leading to residential subdivisions. It was like stepping forward in time from some god-awful place in history back to modern times. They reached a busy crossroads. Two refueling stations stood catty-cornered to each other on either side of the intersection, and opposite them, two competing fast food joints, each catching traffic heading in one of the main directions. The traffic had gotten heavier, but it was still far and away from what could be expected down in Quito proper. Still, it was substantial compared to what they had seen for the last couple hours. We go left here, Malcolm said. The street was called Via de la Valle, and true to its name, over the next couple kilometers it wound its way higher into the mountains, along the side of a steep grade into a sheltered valley. It was immediately clear that this was a more upscale community. Large houses perched higher up the side of the hill, surrounded by carefully sculpted grounds complete, in many cases, with swimming pools. Schools, churches, restaurants, and all manner of other businesses and entertainments were visible down in the valley and along the side of the hill, all beautifully designed and maintained. Joe was immediately struck by the contrast with where they had just been. Amazing that things are so much different here, only a few kilometers away, she mused, as they stopped for a breather. I did not expect the safe house to be so impressive. Malcolm chuckled, wiping the sweat from his brow with the back of his hand. It had grown quite warm as the morning turned to afternoon. It's not one of those, he gestured toward a particularly large house perched atop a rise not far away. Our place is down in the valley. We'll take the next road down. It's not far now. That was good to hear. 
Of course, not far as relative, as Joe decided when, an hour and a half later, they finally reached the bottom of the valley. By then, she was wet with sweat and feeling quite parched. Why had they not stopped back at those fast food places? At the time, it did not seem such a big deal, but she was feeling the lack of sustenance now. Joe normally walked a lot, at least compared to most people she knew, but she was all hiked out. Her feet were throbbing and her legs felt rubbery, and she wanted nothing more than to flop down onto a chair and drink a river. And then eat a cow. She looked longingly at an outdoor shopping center ahead that sported no less than three different restaurants. Can we get a bite to eat? Malcolm pursed his lips, then shook his head. The house is stocked. Better that we keep a low profile. Joe understood the notion and agreed with it, but damn if she did not feel like taking another step. At least Malcolm looked about as beat as she did, but he voiced no complaint. He just kept on hiking. So she adjusted her bag on her shoulder and followed. Malcolm had not been entirely truthful about the safe house. It was no mansion, to be sure, but it was one hell of a nice place. At least from the outside. Two stories tall, with a large front porch and quaint, welcoming architecture, it sat on a secluded lot a hundred meters or so from the nearest neighbor. Somewhere, Joe heard the trickling of running water, and she presumed a stream ran somewhere through the grounds. Whoever owned this place had some money to his name. Joe wondered how the underground had gained use of it. The door was locked, naturally, but the security systems had not been updated to accommodate database implants. Or at least, it still retained just a simple keypad so a person could enter a security code manually. Whether an implant would work or not was anyone's guess, but it didn't matter. Malcolm knew the code, and within moments, they were inside. Less than a minute later, Joe flopped onto an incredibly comfortable leather couch in the first floor's spacious living room. Spacious did not actually even begin to describe it. It was almost as big as Joe's entire condo, and it was impeccably decorated with tasteful artwork on the walls, a couple of nice sculptures, furniture that all looked at least as comfortable as the couch, and a large brick fireplace with a television display above the mantel. This, Joe said, is one hell of a safe house. Thank you, said a voice from behind her. Malcolm froze where he stood, halfway into sitting on one of the stuffed chairs near the fireplace. His eyes widened in shock, in sudden terror, and in confusion. Joe sat bolt upright and looked behind her, toward the hallway leading deeper into the house. Isaac stood there, just casually, in jeans and a burgundy-colored shirt and holding a glass filled with an amber fluid, scotch, in each hand. He looked at them with something that could either be irritation or amusement and said, Welcome to my home. Would you like a drink? Chapter 32 New Allies Joe was speechless. Apparently Malcolm was as well because his only reaction was to fall into the cushions of his chosen chair as though his legs had given out from underneath him completely. Isaac smirked and walked over to them. As he rounded the couch, he said, I assumed you would make your way here. He paused, and, leaning over, held out a glass to Joe. She took it with a trembling hand, and took a long drink. It was scotch, and good scotch at that. Isaac turned away toward Malcolm. I hoped you would not. It was a foolish thing to do. Pedro wasted no time in spreading the word. If anyone else were to find you here... He left the rest unsaid, instead handing the glass to Malcolm, who accepted it silently, but did not drink immediately. Isaac snorted loudly and took a seat in the other stuffed chair. So, what should we do with the two of you, hmm? The fact that he had bothered to ask the question thawed the ice that had formed in Joe's stomach at his approach. If he was not sure whether to put them out, turn them in, or let Pedro know what they had done, maybe there was a chance they could get out of this without having something worse happen to them. Then it hit her. This was not just an opportunity to avoid further trouble. 
He said if anyone else had found them, it would be trouble. Maybe, maybe he would help them? There was too much to hope for, but Joe found herself clinging to that hope like a life vest. What? <clears throat> she cleared her throat and took another sip of the scotch, then started again. What did you mean? This is your house. Isaac looked at her like she was daft. I meant what I said, girl. It's my house. It's owned by a company that I own. So therefore... He shook his head and rolled his eyes. I see you listen just as well as you make friends. His tone was scornful, but Joe expected little else based on their last meeting. She also suspected his gruff exterior was a cover for what lay beneath, based on the last meeting. All the same, though, the comment stung. We'll be on our way then, Isaac, Malcolm said. He rose from his chair. Sit down, boy, Isaac snapped, and gestured peremptorily for Malcolm to do just that. Malcolm complied, his expression wary, worried. Silence loomed for a while, Isaac looking at the two of them in turn, and them watching him. Joe was reminded of the exhilarating yet terrifying moment when the aliens first stepped aboard Pericles. What were they? What did they intend? They were armed, as were her people. Was their meeting to end in bloodshed? Finally, Isaac broke the silence. Pedro... He broke off and shook his head with a disdainful smirk. Pedro is even more of a fool than the two of you. At least you're honest about your foolishness. Pedro, though... He paused, looking Joe straight in the eye. He sees power games more than anything else. He's always wanted to be in charge, and now he's found a way to do it. Makes me wonder why he's with the CFL at all. He misses the point entirely. That little spark of hope that seemed too much to cling to now grew into a flickering flame within Joe. What are you saying, Isaac? His eyes narrowed. I'm saying, girl, that Pedro doesn't speak for all of us. He snorted softly and managed a half grin. Or at least, not for me. We all thought this alien business stank to high heaven and we needed help make it right. I, for one, and I'm more than just one, still think that, regardless of what that boy says. Isaac stood up abruptly. Make yourselves at home. We'll talk more later. He walked out of the room, moving quickly in spite of his hunched posture. As he disappeared down the hallway, he said over his shoulder, Bedroom at the end of the hall is mine. Don't let me catch either of you in there. Joe, speechless once more, looked back at Malcolm. His jaw hung wide open. He could not have looked any more shocked if Joe had suddenly sprouted feathers and flew away. It should have been a very comfortable night. The house was comfortable enough, the bed soft enough, the blankets thick enough, but Joe found she was unable to sleep. She tossed and turned all night, unable to make sense of the sudden turn in her fortunes. To go from having nowhere to turn to to suddenly having an ally again, and from such an unexpected source, had her thoughts and emotions in a whirl. Finally, sometime late in the night, or rather, early in the morning, she drifted off into a fitful slumber. Her dreams were strange, a mixture of being chased and finding a hidden treasure, another thing she could not recall when she finally awoke in the early morning sunlight streaming in through the window. She stretched, luxuriating in the expanse of the bed and blankets, and was tempted to just lie there. She was certainly tired enough. Her eyes felt gravelly, as though she had not slept at all. But there were things to do, and suddenly it seemed there was hope for the future. So, regretfully, she got up and went about the morning routine. She lingered perhaps a bit too long in the shower, but it was so good, and considering the circumstances, a little indulgence was probably warranted. She felt like a new woman when she donned freshly laundered clothes and descended into the wide stairwell to the house's first floor and turned into the kitchen. And boy, was it a kitchen, spacious, state-of-the-art, immaculately clean, and perfectly organized. A person can make some real art in a kitchen like that. 
She was the first one down, apparently, so she put on a pot of coffee and looked through the cupboards for something to eat. A few minutes later, while she was busily scrambling up some eggs, Isaac walked into the kitchen. He was fully dressed in slacks and a white collared shirt and tie, and looked as though he had been up for a while. He raised one eyebrow as he saw what she was doing. I do appreciate a woman who knows her way around the kitchen, Isaac said. Joe rolled her eyes, but found herself chuckling. Do you want some eggs? Don't mind if I do. He pulled out one of the stools that rested next to the counter and took a seat. Joe scooped some eggs onto a plate, pulled a fork out from the drawer, and slid it across the counter to him. Why are you helping us, Isaac? Really? He shrugged. Doesn't really matter, does it? What matters is you're not as out in the cold as you thought you were. That was hardly satisfactory, but Joe had to admit he had a point. So what happens now? Isaac shrugged and took a bite of the eggs. He chewed slowly and swallowed, then nodded approvingly. Not bad, girl. You might have a future. Then he grinned, showing his teeth, which were shiny white and perfectly straight. Joe had not noticed that about him before, but she was hardly surprised. Aside from his burn scars, Isaac was the image of understated wealth, at least as long as he did not look at his house. He stood and walked around the counter to a cupboard where he retrieved a glass then poured himself some water from the sink. In a little while, he said after taking a shallow drink, I have some people coming over. Friends of mine, he looked over at her and raised an eyebrow. And of yours. We'll have a palaver and decide how to proceed, then we'll be off. Off where? Isaac snorted and sat back down on his stool. He cast a withering glance at her, then went back to eating his eggs and said nothing more. Isaac disappeared after breakfast without saying another word. He simply returned his plate to the sink and grunted at Joe, again giving her a look of disapproval, as though she had said or done something to offend him. Then he left, leaving her to wonder what the hell had just happened. Not long after, Malcolm rose from the evening's rest and came down to the kitchen clad in a bathrobe. Joe was just about done cleaning up from her and Isaac's breakfast when he arrived, looking around the kitchen curiously. How are you feeling? Joe shrugged and, not trusting herself to speak, just kept on scrubbing at the pan she had used to cook the eggs. Malcolm gave her a curious, wary look, but said nothing more. He just grabbed some bread and jam and made himself some toast. Then he left to get ready for the day. It was not like she did not want to talk to Malcolm. It was more that Isaac had her baffled. What was he playing at? He put on a show of being an uncaring, callous old man, though, truth be told, he really was not all that old. But there was clearly more going on with him than that. He worked for, or rather with, the underground. But he was more than willing, even eager, to break with them as soon as he had disagreed with what they were doing. And yet, he allowed them to use his house, or at least one of his homes, as a safe house. It could not be that hard to trace the house's ownership, and if the NSA and another agency found out whose house it was, it would doubtless cause no end of trouble for him. He was a walking contradiction. It was intriguing, and unsettling. If he was so willing to go against the underground after having clearly cast his lot with them, how eager would he be to back Joe and Malcolm if they got in real trouble? Joe gritted her teeth and attacked a particularly stubborn bit of grit on the pan. She hated answering to someone else for her well-being. She absolutely hated it. It was much better to be in charge, to make her own decisions and rise or fall based on that, not someone else's whims, which she supposed is why she loved being captain so much and why she was good at it. It did not take long to finish cleaning up, and she stalked away to freshen up before Isaac's friends arrived. She might as well not have. Isaac was coy about exactly when his guests were to arrive, or who they were. So there was little to do except wait. Fortunately, the house was marvelously equipped with all manner of amenities that a body could want. 
So Joe spent the morning and most of the afternoon camped out in the upstairs library with a book tablet that she had always meant to read but never got around to. At one point, not long after lunch, the strangeness of her situation struck her. Only now that she was a wanted fugitive did she finally have the free time to read. Even during the year-long shifts aboard ship, she generally kept busy enough with her duties that reading eluded her, or she just kept herself entertained with other things. But now, with maybe her life literally on the line, she found the time. It was odd. Finally, as the sun was beginning to sink down below the mountains to the west, at first it surprised her because it was still early, but then she remembered they were deep in the valley. Isaac came to join her in the library. They'll be here in about an hour, he said. Joe tapped the tablet display and put it to sleep, then stood and returned it to its place on the wall shelf that held Isaac's reading collection. Will you tell me now who I've been waiting for? Isaac sparked, or was that a half-smile? I wouldn't want to spoil the surprise. With that, he left her alone again. Joe sighed. This cloak and dagger bit was getting to be very tiresome. Very tiresome, indeed. Joe took a few minutes to freshen up and change into clean clothes. Not that the clothes she had on were particularly dirty, but after having been on the run so often lately, Joe found she had become very attentive to every little blemish and wanted her shirts, at least, as clean as possible. And she wanted to make a good impression on whomever these mysterious visitors were, and the t-shirt she had on was not going to do the trick. When she descended the stairs in a nice, conservative collared blouse and slacks, she felt more than ready to face whatever came with at least a bit of dignity. She was not prepared for Malcolm as she entered the living room. He had, over the last couple of weeks, become as rumpled as Joe felt, even during their short stay with the underground. Planning Becky's rescue had taken so much time and effort that neither Joe nor he had been able to get much rest. But this evening, he had apparently decided to become human again as well, and he did it with style. He wore dark blue, pleated slacks and an off-white shirt, open at the collar, and over that a sports jacket that fit well enough that Joe wondered if it had been tailor-made for him. Overall, he projected an image of understated style, and it was hard not to stare. Malcolm turned to face Joe as she entered the room and smiled, inclining his head in greeting, but he did not say anything. His eyes spoke enough, though, as they gave her a quick, approving once-over. In spite of herself, Joe felt a little rush of pleasure at his approval. Enough of that. They were not first-time crew members on a first run away from their parents playing at romance anymore. She was the captain, and he... Well, he wasn't in her crew anymore, was he? And she was not the captain. That admission pained her, all the more because she had never allowed herself to think it before. She was no longer the captain. For good or ill, that part of her life was over. Even if she managed to come away through this without having been crucified by the NSA or any number of other government agencies, it was beyond unlikely that McAllister would take her back on. It was like a piece of her died. Or rather, like a piece of her had already died and she just now realized it. The momentary pleasure faded, replaced by a sense of loss more profound than she would have thought. It was just a job, after all. Right, go on telling yourself that. Malcolm's smile faded a bit. Joe, are you alright? She forced a smile onto her lips and nodded. Yes, yeah, just thinking. She took a deep breath and walked over next to him. Do you know? The doorbell rang then, drawing her eyes toward the entranceway. I think we're about to find out, Malcolm replied. Well, okay, looks like Joe and Malcolm are in out of the cold. <laughs> a bit. Uh, didn't see that coming, did ya? I didn't either until I was writing it. But, uh, well, maybe I did. Interesting how when you're writing, you, uh, you, do, you put things in, 
And it's only later, as you're continuing on with the story, that you realize, aha, uh -huh, I can use that thing I put in much earlier again or for something cool. And Isaac, at first when I introduced him to give them a ride, I was like, that guy's kind of a fun, grumpy character. Um, I sort of left it at that, and then I was like, oh, it's, I'm riding along, and I'm thinking, how am I going to get these people out of this mess? And they're like, oh, yeah, the safe house. And I had already hinted that Isaac had a lot of money, at least a fair amount of money. I was like, of course, it's his house. And of course he's got connections. And of course he's going to help them out. Duh. It's like you planned that the whole time, Kingswood. <laughs> and um, I guess somewhere in here I did, but uh, it's not like I sat down. I'm not one of those guys who sits down and does an outline of a book and plans out every detail and all that stuff. Uh, some people do that. I'm not sure how much they actually really do, the folks who uh, say they do, how much they really do. Uh, but I don't. I generally have a concept of what I'm going to write. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I knew what the, the conceit of the Pericles conspiracy was going to be because I finished up passing the night and I was like, and almost immediately after finishing, I'm like, yeah, they're going to get home and the government's not going to follow through. The government's going to, you know, renege and be bad. And uh, so that was the conceit. I knew that from the get-go. And as I wrote the first chapter, um, actually, the first scene, like less than a month after writing Passing in the Night, but I got doing other things, writing other things. I didn't write the rest of the book for... Um, you know, what was it? Came out in 2013, uh, Passing the Night, I wrote in 2011, and, you know, so it's two years, but not really two years writing, right? I think I told you in another previous video, really it was like 80 hours of actual writing, but I was distracted, not distracted, but I had my focus on other things, different projects, and different books, and different things in real life, and so it just took that long. Not two years of work, but two years of chronologically. And uh, so very on, early on, I knew the government was going to be the problem. I don't remember exactly when, but at some point, when you see their resolution of how their plan going forward is going to be, I had that notion fairly early on too. But a lot of the, and then I had a, the, a flash of how it would end um, so I had those three kind of stepping stones but the rest of the rest I just sort of went with and see where it went there's once or twice where I was going and then I realized ah, I don't like the direction I'm going I went back and re retweaked a little bit mostly because uh, the one the one wrong turn I can think of in most in particular would have been so far out of the way, I had no idea how I would ever get back it up, back on to even the semblance of a track that made sense, and it would turn it into a totally different story than I wanted to tell it. So I was like, yeah, okay, you know, well, I'm not going for a. I don't even know what it would have turned into. Something depressing and horrific and all this stuff. I wanted to turn it into a sort of a spy thriller, spy thriller space adventure. But, uh, but not in space, but, you know, political thing, too. Um, so I went back and 
there's only a minor tweak. It's like you know, a chapter or two. But I went, realized I was going totally the wrong way and redid it and worked out nicely. Um, so I'm not one of those outline guys. But somehow, as I'm writing along, Isaac became... I, I put Isaac in and I was had him in the back of my mind. I was like, oh yeah, there's a, kind of a cool character I can use again. Let's go. So we'll see what he does for Joe and Malcolm going forward. But it looks like he's going to be pretty helpful. He certainly has resources. Uh, we'll see what comes of it. And we'll see what happens in this meeting that's apparently going to happen right now. But that will be at the next episode. Not this one. Because this has been long enough as it is. Um, thank you guys for listening. I do appreciate it. Thanks for liking, subscribing, leave reviews, all that stuff. Tell your buddies about it. And, of course, the best way you can uh, help out, and the best way you to stop yourself from having to wait a whole week and then a whole series of weeks to find the finally, finally find the end of the story is just go buy the book. right? Buy it, buy it directly from SSN Storytelling. Uh, the, they've got their web store, which works quite well, um, with fulfillment from uh, BookFunnel. Uh, for the ebook and uh, directly if the audio if the audiobook was ready to be sold you could get it directly from SSN Storytelling as well and print book uh, fulfilled by Ingram which works out nicely too well, if you don't like that you don't like allowing me and the and the company that I'm associated with that earn more money well then you can you go to Amazon or the other places if you want to um, always of course don't forget to spread the word to all your buddies about the podcast and the videos and the cool stories we're telling. And uh, definitely come back next week no matter what. Um, until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.